Cliff's Abyss, and then you dive. That's why we get hive minds and Hollywood mob rule. Yo, what? What? It's the mind virus. No. <clears throat> As perhaps a dated reference, but as what they said on the set of the abyss before we get to that uh i just want to say welcome to your companion program e with an e with a, an old-timey english spelling um for thursday july 13th uh welcome to friend friendship emulator we're going to talk about some more classic films in our continuing series recording this one late at night um i might sound a little hushed as a result of that but um a little bit of i guess the housekeeping up front would be um i listened to some of the previous episode after i recorded it and um i have to say i don't know if it was before or after i took some kind of a uh um you know prescription based sleeping medication <laughs> it's a little little substance called hydrox something about me was very was very slow moving and drowsy and uh i don't know i think we're gonna try and amend that in the future <clears throat> we have a lot to talk about um i'm gonna tell you all of my opinions about the new bionicle movie mantanui um his new form in um in metal and aqua uh just f uh fantabulous i have to say it's an uncrustable um but yeah we're we're currently broadcasting actually just i was gonna see if i had my underwater mic but we're just outside of the uh the raspberry lemonade dunk take thing that uh They've provided for everyone on site here at the studio. Um, of course, if you're not a Lemonade fan, perhaps if you have um, some kind of uh, acid reflux issue, for example, you can go with a uh, with like a, uh, a fruit punch or something, and uh, they won't splurge for for alcoholic drinks, unfortunately. But uh, but that is what's going on and uh we've just emerged um i have to say it's a little abrasive on the skin but there's these cool little things they're not like they're not quite like easter eggs but they're more shaped like like discs but like kind of thick like almost like the size and shape of like a hockey puck you open them up and they have like little little trivia facts about about classic films like the abyss and the cabinet of Dr. Caligar Cal Cal Calligraphy. <clears throat> and um, a, a little bit of stuff about the history of Vaporwave, too. So we're going to be bringing that straight to you. Um, I just want to say thanks to anyone who's listening. I did set up a Patreon. Um, uh, the bonus material for the Patreon is a series of comics, like web comics, just called Ruminoid. Uh, it's the Ruminoid web comics, and uh, once every week or two, uh, this is going up. Um, and so, yeah, if you have a few bucks to spare, we're kind of in this soft launch mode, but kind of happy about the brand and where it's going um at least in my mind you know it's it's uh yeah like uh like when a when a creative project is like your quote-unquote baby or whatever it's like it's it's been very fun to think about and uh let these episodes sort of unfold a lot of stuff coming up in the future but uh just to talk about uh my new obsession <clears throat> and the last thing I I didn't really talk about uh let's just say that I was really 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 obsessed with the Russian uh I don't even know if it's like alternative or underground or something like that the Russian reality television show from 
the internet. I I it might have been on a cable uh, house two or home two. I'm being completely allegorical, almost like almost like one of the movies we're gonna talk about. With, with uh, damn, it's like um, over a hundred years old now. It's actually kind of crazy. I watched a hundred year old movie, but yeah, um, I'm speaking allegorically, of course. Uh, I had a little hyperfixation with this thing, and it was a uh, it was a shit show. You know what I mean? But I feel like I can talk about it now a little bit and. One reason is because one of my like idols in um at least in music who is uh easily one of my favorite you know top top three rappers it's it's hard to uh hold a flame to uh you know smoke team six No, okay, um, I'm kidding. Uh, Roy Allen Phillips, though. So. Uh, it's but yeah, uh, Danny Brown turns out was a big fan of the uh, that uh, that internet show, uh, Fishbowl or whatever, uh, Fish Center Live. I think it's an Adult Swim thing. I'm just kidding. It's, it's called Fish Tank. Um, <clears throat> and Danny Brown is like, he seems. He's always been like kind of super online. Little B is like getting super online now too. His uh his latest uh, music video features like his gaming rig, like his Twitch rig, and he gets like hundreds of views. It's I mean I don't. It's pretty good for him, I guess. Um, but he's got like decked out like four, three or four or five screens or something and all the RGB stuff, and it's, like, it's really interesting. It's kind of like he's taking, like, RGB gaming aesthetics into, I don't know, rap, like, uh, like Lil Uzi Vert did with, like, anime or something like that. But, yeah, what I wanted to talk about is actually, um, not that, but my new thing is like not just vaporwave because i've been get, i've been pretty into one of tricks point never <clears throat> we'll talk about a little bit um and vectroid who are two two pretty pivotal artists um for a year or, i mean i just discovered vectroid pretty recently but uh daniel lapton one of tricks point never a long ass time but my new thing it's called signal wave i mean it's kind of weird because i uh i got in touch with this one artist and like uh commented on their youtube video and came came up with a new way i learned that there's like two totally different ways of um downgrading the audio quality of like an mp3 and so i learned um something more akin to like vhs or like uh what do you call it like winamp radio uh feeds from the late 90s early 2000s and that's um a sample rate crush as opposed to a bit rate crush bit rate crush is like you know nes music uh eight bit it's like uh <clears throat> you know had this like fm synthesis thing going i don't know if it's fm synthesis per se but it's a uh, sounds that were designed to be listened to in 8 bits and uh to listen to an 8-bit mp3 is kind of cool it's cool sounding it sounds almost more like a telephone or a walkie-talkie whereas sample rate crushing you kind of get a full uh gamut of like the frequency range it sounds a little bit more muddy sounds very similar to vhs which is confusing to me because vhs is a uh, analog technology but i'm learning about these things and uh yeah i'm trying like new types of like reverb and stuff been making a lot of like loops um and yeah just been talking to like a couple different musicians in this in this realm and the the wild thing 
that I discovered that's like going to change the way that I look at music going forward because because uh, it gets almost to the heart of like my philosophy about um, subversively illegal art and stuff like 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 this obsession with like Vera Drew and like uh, Brad Neely's Wizard People, Dear Reader, the fact that it it flew in the face of uh, these things that I mean, they don't fly in the face of copyright in the sense of downright theft, but it's like it almost doesn't. You know what I mean? There's there is that anarchist um, almost philosophy of uh, you know property is theft or something like that um but yeah john oswald in 1985 uh coined the term plunder phonics right and um for some reason i just never examined the word i heard it a like months or possibly years ago um maybe listening to vectroid talk about something but i'm not really sure i i thought that it was like <clears throat> it was almost like an onomatopoeia for some reason but without without thinking about the definition of the word plunder so um there is an essay or something that he wrote and it's called uh it's called something along the lines of um uh uh, 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 music piracy as a compositional prerogative or something like that. And um, I listened to some of his music. He started, I think, in... I think the first Plunder Phonic, which was, like, actually the name of the project slash, like, ban not really band, but, like, it was, like, the name of, like, yeah, the project that stuff was released under. And I think it was actually uh, bankrolled by, like, Electra Records, which at the time may or may not have been bought up by EMI. But I'm pretty sure Electra Records is, like, Bjork's record label. And they've been a subsidiary of one of the major four for a long time. But point being... Um, it was much like Muzak, um, which was an actual company that like licensed um, sound alikes that were not for profit to, um, you know, uh, like shopping centers. Uh, that's why you get the uh, the entire like subgenre and vaporwave of like Mallsoft, and uh, there's this really classic almost mall soft um they call it uh utopian virtual style vaporwave record called um yes we're open and it's got a lot of the kmp classics i believe don't quote me on this but <clears throat> and i can't remember the name of the artist because uh it's got i believe japanese or chinese characters but uh yeah, the KMP classics are almost um, as essential to like the the classic vaporwave stuff, in my opinion, as the uh, like the Muzak soundalikes um, catalog is. And you get into that stuff with like the uh, like Kmart tapes made by various people. There's the but I mean, what the Signal Wave gets a little bit more into is like transmissions and like the uh, the stuff uh the stuff of like the noise between radio stations and stuff like that anyway john oswald plunder phonics project definitely check it out if you're like interested in um anything from like chopped and screwed uh dj screw to like c-punk to uh witch house all that all that proto vaporwave type stuff because 1985 it seems to me um, the way that he was not only like remixing and making mashups like way, way before that was a thing, he was doing it not for profit in this revolutionary way where it was like, <clears throat> okay, my music is kind of just going to be 
this uh this designer luxury art item or something and if you're going to check out any of his music <clears throat> i have this noted uh carly simon and faster pussycat it's 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 like actually a mashup and he has like weird um he has weird titles for his songs that don't really go they're not one-to-one but this one is called vain and it's you're so vain but it goes between the carly simon like original version and faster pussycat which is like a hair metal band it sounds really cool and it's not slowed like dj screw would slow it but um it seems to me that that was a missing link and all of this stuff for a long time now fast forward from 1989 the first plunder phonic tape to 2009 that's what 30 years later <clears throat> and we get what some people consider the first vaporwave like classic vaporwave album by devin hendrix also known as jpeg mafia the also one of my favorite rappers um although i will say i love danny brown and jpeg mafia's past work a lot i'm not i don't hate it the 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 collaboration between them the new one but i it's it, i would not put it in like my top uh albums of last year or was it last year are we six months through this year i would not put it i would not put it at the top in general but yeah um not bad though not bad uh yeah that's an interesting uh two degrees of separation there uh stuff that i'm interested in <laughs> it's just vaguely surrounding the uh scare in the hose record <clears throat> but yeah so you got um devin hendrix and then chuck person which are the the uh the side projects for uh jpeg mafia and one of tricks point never respectively predated those projects um i guess because they wanted to make more um original music and it's interesting because macintosh plus kind of came after but also before vectroid and vectroid is a little bit more of the like um like working with uh original compositions i guess i don't know um one of my favorite uh records probably from any any of the vectroid uh discography any of the the side projects is uh the sega what is it called um the the whatever the sega virtual disc or whatever it's called it's really really cool uh drowned out like these very uh like late 90s or like late 80s early 90s sounding uh reverbs that are just like over the top with all these uh sega dreamcast music it's 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 cool to have like a really specific source which is what you know she does with like the kmart tapes too but um, if there was going to be a fourth in the, uh, the round table, which I would say four different, <clears throat> um, OGs in the classic vaporwave scene, James Ferraro. And, uh, I'm not quite as familiar. I mean, I've, I've gotten really into one or two of his records, uh, Farside Virtual and Skid Row. And I saw him live once. Um, he seemed pretty disaffected uh which is cool it's a good performance um but yeah that's that's the the 2010 ish era stuff from 2009 to 2011 but i will say back in the day yeah i would say maybe 2011 2012 uh, i'm trying to think of like where i was living at the time and who i was hanging out with but uh there was saint pepsi and Lenshaven Virtual Plaza blowing up on YouTube and stuff. Um, 
And that's like almost proto signal wave. I want to say, I don't know. Linshaven Virtual Plaza, um, certainly with like the NTSC uh, stuff, um, just straight up like uh, TV feed, kind of like up for the record, the record cover. I've been revisiting that a lot too. Cause I feel like that's a very important record for um, the kind of remix music that I'm trying to make now. Um, and maybe we'll never know how some of that stuff was made. Uh, rest in peace. But yeah, the other thing about Chuck Person I uh, realized is uh, some say it's the prototypical Vaporwave album, if not Dreamcast Summer Songs by Devin Hendricks, but uh, Echo Jams Volume 1. <clears throat> Curious that since 2009 or 10 or whatever, there hasn't been a Volume 2. But it turns out that in 2012, for Record Store Day, there were four vinyls produced of i think the same loops from echo jams volume one and there's about 30 uh of each on each record and there's four records and each record is an edition of 120 so it's like something about the number 120 or something but i don't know Maybe it's related to Echo the Dolphin. Who knows? Conspiracy theory. Pepe Sylvia. I don't know. But uh, anyway, I, I find that there's <clears throat> a lot of cool stuff coming out um, in the vein of uh, people people bridging that gap between Plunderphonics and Signal Wave. And I'm trying to find more of the stuff that's like uh like noisy field recording um almost like emo noise if that makes sense um i yeah i'm very interested in music that is like not harsh noise but also not oh angelic pretty uh ambient quote-unquote ambient music you know of course i love ambient music i love brian eno i love all that stuff um even the apex twin stuff but uh oh god i can i can actually really i could talk about ambient music i can talk about william Bazinski. uh that's some that's almost like 4chan moo core music though um Lucky Dragons has some very soft, ethereal, ambient music. And I, like I said, I, I love that stuff. But what I want is like something that doesn't quite pierce your ears, but that has like a slow, almost drony sense of dread to it. And I found, I found a couple, a couple things, but it's, there's about a dozen or so albums on my list to check out. It's pretty amazing what has happened in what uh 14 years since Devin Hendricks Chuck Person Floral Shop by Macintosh Plus MacBook Mac Plus minus um Sharp MacBook Sharp I'm sorry <laughs> I'm very bad with names and when you have 12 of them no um that one probably is my favorite though floral shop it like it really changed the way that i think about music almost in the way that like <clears throat> studying indonesian traditional music did the uh the gamelan um i don't want to say javanese whatever the one that's slower is uh it would be it would be great to actually dedicate almost an entire episode to that sort of stuff. Excuse me, my dang throat. But yeah, the last thing I'll say in terms of um, Signal Wave, the new stuff, there's a lot of artists that I'll recommend maybe in the future. But if you're interested in seeing 
what I'm talking about. There's this really good record that I think encapsulates the feeling probably of French cable television. It's the vibe that I get from it anyway. A French vaporwave artist called Canal Plus and a um, few records, but Ven Vendredi is the one that I really like. It has like a weather, a, a green sort of weather scanner um, thing going on about it. And that's the other thing I wanted to say. Um, a lot of the, um, oh God, is, is France the Commonwealth? No, it's not. All of the English speaking, I don't know. I, so Canada, right? in terms of in terms of vaporwave canada is a thing because i've i've heard a few artists i want to say like ct57 or someone um there's a lot of good stuff coming out of canada a lot of the stuff um i you know i thought uh one or two explain never was maybe from the uk but it's, it's just warp records is a uk label um there is some good stuff i think from japan I'm not, I mean, they're ha listening to some of it. There's like no way, um, but it's hard to learn about some of these individual micro, not, I wouldn't say cult, the, the word cult artist or cult, cult following, even when used in that context has heavy, heavy connotations, but very small, um, almost micro celebrities. I don't know a lot about. I only know those four in terms of, and it's, it's because they're, they're so popular. There've been like, you know, magazine articles written about them and stuff like that. But John Oswald is, yeah. And then from John Oswald to freaking canal plus, because, uh, there's something so interesting to me about not just Canadian, but like maybe European vaporwave, um, a sort of step away from the Blade Runner, LA, New Tokyo vibe of it all. Um, and, and, and I, I really don't mean to put shade on, on stuff like the ethereal, uh, uh, you know, telepath or something like that is a good artist. I kind of love, <clears throat> but heavy, heavy Blade Runner vibes in that music. And uh, mostly just because of the art, I guess. Um, yeah, New Tokyo, all that. It's interesting to take take the dark sort of metropolis vibe out of it and put this like almost like <laughs> French Riviera, like Italian countryside thing into it, which is like what canal plus sort of does it's like there's something dreary to it but it's like daytime rainy dreariness or something um yeah it's just it's just really cool stuff and i don't know if anyone would ever have any recommendations for noisy droney uh signal waiver i guess what they would call to me it feels like what you would call broken transmission which is people say is a synonym. I tried to look up, I tried to do some research on this. I wish I had like a mentor, but yeah. Um, that's supposed to be a synonym for signal wave, which all of it is kind of just like weather scanner, weather channel, uh, um, source material type stuff. Um, yeah. If you know any noise, noisy albums that are like, kind of mm, informed by vaporwave let's say let's say that right um yeah let me know and uh with that i didn't really think that i was going to talk quite so much about vaporwave and signal wave but uh this stuff is really cool and i love the uh i love the sleepy i love the sleepiness of it the hypnagogicness of it um I wonder if my next step is to actually just get into uh, the classic witch house stuff, but I don't know. DJ screws where it's at. There's like 600 of those records. All right. Next up. <laughs> 
Movies. If that was like a lot of information and this feels like one of those uh you have to kind of have your pen and note pen and notepad uh that is if you're interested in any of that stuff i was just talking about for like 20 minutes um the film portion of this is no exception um i was thinking i would kind of just go off the cuff with this one but i do have quite a bit of notes um and i learned quite a bit like for example did you know that james cameron is kind of an asshole i had no idea i thought he was like i believed all the propaganda about him you know what i mean and all the propaganda he's been feeding us about destroying about destroying the white imperialism with the with the with the fido goes west what's it called um the uh pocahontas themes um wow um we're recording late at night and the trains are going wild excuse me um but yeah so i watched the abyss in the cabinet of dr cal caligari um and really weird combination of films um but I think the actually thinking about it now, there are some actual thematic similarities in the sense that it uh, it does kind of deal. Both of them do deal in their own ways um, with making an allegory out of a global conflict, kind of. James Cameron is a little bit more hokey and, uh, and, um, literal with it, I guess. Uh, watching the abyss, being kind of moved by the music and finding it overall, like pacing wise, I don't know. It's pretty, uh, weird, I guess. One thought that I had is that it would be really cool if they kind of remastered it or like even remade it because um, what he's done with Avatar 1 and 2 in terms of like visual effects, I'm sure, honestly, like 10 or 20 years from now, or wait, how's, how long has it been since 89 when The Abyss was made? We'll look back maybe at Avatar 1 and 2 and be like, okay, it looks really cool, but does it look realistic? But, you know, like we couldn't possibly imagine, th- you know, I don't know. It's always history as a way of like uh, smiling back at us. I don't know. What is, what is, what is the phrase about history rhyming or whatever? But uh, the interesting about Caligari is how it has survived throughout history. And it's one of those, you know, over 100 years old, as I said. And we can sort of like still talk about it in these like new ways. And that's maybe that's just like good expressionism or whatever. But uh, in terms of the abyss. All right. So let's get into it. Um it opens it's 1989 it's cold war stuff we've got we've got like a a deep deep water diving rig um there's a a nuclear submarine that crashes and all these people including an estranged couple um have to go and like recover the the freaking bombs that that could that you know maybe have to be deactivated or whatever or maybe they were like worth so much money i'm not really sure it gets pretty dramatic um i was wondering when like news of uh of like world events would come in and that's about like 30 40 minutes i was like wait when are we gonna like pull back on like what this is actually 
what the like the stakes of all of this are and it's like okay no it's like it's nuclear war it's pretty wild um they don't even say like how deep they're going at first until it gets to like to the very end spoiler alerts for these extremely old movies <laughs> um but yeah uh there's a there's a point halfway in where like the uh the there's like a rig above water that's like a uh, like a crane or whatever it falls like into the ocean because they just happen to you know have to go and retrieve this nuclear material like 10 hours before they know a storm is going to hit and then the storm inevitably hits and there's a lot of willful suspension of disbelief in this but when it wants to be emotionally striking it, it kind of is um and yeah, uh, behind the scenes, um, kind of a shit show, uh, as is uh, commonly reported on. I'll talk a little bit about that. But in terms of the story, um, I was emotionally gripped by the by the near death scene or like kind of death scene. That's another really interesting uh, parallel between these two films is that there is a an iconic pivotal scene involving a kind of dead person <laughs> uh with uh yeah just really good um <clears throat> really good imagery like the best uh visual moments of the films almost uh my favorite character has to be hippie uh James Cameron just went and decided that he was going to name one of his characters Hippie probably so that um what's her name Mary Liz Mary Elizabeth um Mastra Mastrantano what's her name I've got it right here actually do I uh Mastran Mastrantonio, but I think the R is silent, so it's Mastantonio. Um, yeah, she uh, delivers the line um, when push comes to shove with the uh, the drill sergeant guy who's like experiencing a psychotic episode as a result of the deep sea ailment that he has that he's not telling anyone about they're arguing and this, this dude's his name is literally hippie and she goes yo hippie do me a favor stay off my side and it's like wow this like reeks of ideology that's pretty funny it's like that's probably the entire reason for his name um but hippie's like a really funny character even so um, he's kind of got like a discordian church of the subgenius, like conspiracy theorist going like thing going on. And yeah, you just, you love to see it. There's much like alien. There's like this, uh, this non-terrestrial rig where you're in like the, uh, <clears throat> the depths and the darkness and these people are just straight up wearing casual clothes fucking barefoot uh eating you know grog and like um sailor's tongues and all that stuff it's very interesting um i would say like kind of is it honestly like space cowboy vibes um alan silvestri i, I believe another italian name there um he did the music for this and <clears throat> I think it's honestly my favorite part of the entire movie. Um, pre pretty good, pretty good emotionally gripping plot. Honestly, I may have just been in like quite a mood when I watched it. I'm not sure, but uh, there's like this scene where they first encounter the alien entity, which, which is like the deus ex machina, like, you're waiting sort of like halfway through to like, okay, what's going on with the alien? Like apparently there's a three hour version of this movie. Um, but yeah, there's like a water tendril coming through cause it can just like control water. Apparently it's a, uh, 
it is a prototype for the same visual effects they used in Terminator 2 for the uh, the metal guy, whatever his name is, the liquid metal guy. Great movie. I think I saw that in the theater when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Al- Alan Silvestri, he did music for uh, Back to the Future 1 through 3, Forrest Gump, Polar Express, all great soundtracks. Um, that scene is just like, it almost reminded me of John Williams in the, uh, what they call the love suite in AI artificial intelligence, where there's these kind of like, what, like bells, but they're like almost like water, but it might be the mixture of water bells with like, or I'm sorry, regular metal bells with like, um, water, what do they call them? Not singing bowls, but the ones that like actually have water in them. Uh, it sounds really good. Um, it reminds me a lot of uh, the the Japanese um, like sound environment stuff and like American New Age music from uh, late eighties, early nineties. Another uh, vaporwave fodder sort of situation with all that stuff. Um, it just sounds good. It sounds pretty. Um, but yeah, there are some, I wouldn't say plot holes, but like I said, willful suspension of disbelief moments where the kind of going psycho drill sergeant, uh, Sarge guy is like not being monitored for a good, like, like 20 to 30 minute chunk of this, uh, of this movie. And it's like you, that there's no way. Ed Harris is really cool in it. I think that if they ever make a movie of Final Fantasy VII, Ed Harris should play Sid in it. He's like born for that role. It would be awesome. Um, although, is he still alive even? How old is Ed Harris now? I'm going to look it up real quick. He appears to be alive. He's quite old. When was his... Oh, yeah, he was in, like, some some prime time. Oh, yeah, he was in Westworld. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, 50, 73 now? He's getting up there. They're gonna have to... They're gonna have to make that movie soon. Um, yeah. Other, other sort of things in the plot... Uh, it's, it's emotionally gripping, but looking back on it, I'm like, ah, they duped me because with the warhead stuff that within a span of about 10 minutes, there's like the sergeant is like very slowly rung by rung with a chain, lowering it down into the water. And it's like, maybe he doesn't know if it will activate upon touching water or something but it just seems like he's like trying to be extra careful to make it not bump anything because everything's just water i don't i don't i don't know i don't think about whether a nuke would work in water at the time or it would just like randomly explode in water but within 10 minutes i swear to god they're shooting a machine like a like an uzi machine gun or something at the ship where he's like underneath the moon pool anyway the ending of it is really cool and it's like aqua battle bots they're like going around and like ramming each other in these tiny little uh vessels and then of course ed harris like uh does the uh um inhales the liquid oxygen or whatever which apparently was like an obsession of james cameron's really early on um and obviously the deep sea and sea, uh, the ocean in general. It's been like an obsession of his. Um, but as far as like the behind the scenes thing, uh, Mas- Mastantonio, Mary Elizabeth Mastantonio, it's such a hard name to say. Um, she was apparently silent about it for a long time, but she kind of got a little bit too uh, battered up during the, uh, the near death scene 
where she technically like dies and they have to revive her. It was the only way for her to like get from point A to point B. Um, because they had to like do so many takes apparently. And she blew up at James Cameron and I wasn't going to, I don't want to go off into any conspiracy theories like a hippie, <laughs> but, uh, you know, she was in like a perfect storm after that. I just learned today that her breakout rule was Scarface, which I still haven't seen. Uh, Godfather is coming up though. I'm, it's going to be crazy when I watch Godfather in like a day or two, it's going to be very fun. Uh, look out for that on next week's episode hopefully hopefully next week we're gonna do it folks um yeah so not only was his treatment of some of the cast personally kind of an issue but uh they were plagued by all of these uh sort of um technological issues and like uh, I heard something about people getting like infections or something like that but they were five weeks behind and four million over budget after principal photography um, and there were like multiple incidents of people almost drowning and just screaming matches happening all the time um, and it's kind of massive like what they did uh in terms of constructing this uh this artificial set with like two differently sized but gigantic pools made out of uh made out of like old abandoned nuclear generator facilities or something somehow they made it i don't know maybe maybe that had something to do with the fact that people's skin uh got fucked up but uh apparently there was like over chlorination at one point because of uh murkiness in the water there was like executives coming like them having to like stop and uh fights in the editing bay all this sort of stuff what i learned basically is that james cameron has always been a huge megalomaniac i don't know what he does now with like ndas or something but Hey, as long as the themes of his movies are good, right? <clears throat> I don't know. I wonder how much money I've spent on James Cameron in my life. Including my parents taking me to see, like, you know, Terminator and uh, uh, Titanic and stuff. I saw Avatar 1 multiple times. And I think I paid for it myself each time. I don't even know. It's not something I really want to talk, I, I really want to even think about. But uh, the interesting, one of the most interesting facts about this movie is that there is a uh, an alternate or like extended version with like a deleted ending. And the aliens who were, uh, I guess, meant to be um, benevolent and peacefaring and stuff uh, just decide to send a huge tidal wave everywhere and like kill everyone on earth <laughs> which is like first of all it wouldn't that wouldn't even really kill everyone there'd still be pockets of civilization but uh damn i think there's a word for that <laughs> and james cameron um went on the record and said i like the i like the two and a half hour version but uh it's better at three hours the long version eventually they did a restoration of the deleted ending because one of the reasons it was deleted is because it didn't look good enough but also it, it would have been way too long of a movie um yeah just destroy the human race at the end after after having this like beautiful <laughs> moment with like extraterrestrials in the deep ocean where they like communicate with you um and yeah, somehow magically prevent you from getting the bends. <laughs> you you don't have to you don't have to uh, depressurize for six to like twenty like maybe days on end. Uh, no, you can just shoot straight up from one hundred and twenty thousand feet or whatever. Your skull won't explode or anything. Um, 
they had this insane technology and this extremely intuitive, um, uh, you know, uh, imitation is the form of flattery style of communicating where they just kind of mimic what they, it's, it's, there's not a lot of thought put into like what intelligence is or means. It's just like a lot of, it's just like a lot of dramatic stuff happening and emotionally jarring, emotionally pulling movie. But yeah, knowing now what I know about James Cameron, it's like, I described it as like Stanley Kubrick vibes on set, you know? South Park said, James Cameron does what James Cameron does because James Cameron is James Cameron. And uh, you hate to agree with South Park, but he is, he is sort of, he's that kind of bungholio. Bungholio. Now there's a collaboration made in heaven. Uh... What is it? Mike Judge? Matt Judge? <laughs> Matt Judge. The bizarro Mike Judge. Mike Judge and uh, James Cameron should make a movie together. That would be so funny. It'd be so good. All right. After the break, we're going to get into an older and you know, maybe something I can talk a little bit more academically about film cabinet of dr caligari only the second silent film i've ever watched and no the second one is not metropolis but i want to i do want to see that um we're going to talk about it in just a moment thank you all right now, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is kind of a markedly different film, um, not only because it's like 70 years older, um, but it's more like art house um, and less like blockbuster. In fact, uh, the three set designers who worked together um, were, I believe, painters. Um, I don't quote me on that. I, I believe they were like expressionist artists of some, of some sort from Germany. Um, starring uh, Cesare, uh, who I thought, I thought it was Cesare, uh, played by Conrad Voigt, um, in what I think is like an amazing. Um, uh, 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 what's the word that I'm looking for? Like prediction, um, forecasting of like new romantic goth aesthetics. Cause he straight up looks like not so much like kiss, but like the cure, like, um, uh, there was, uh, there's some other bands that did like the, the new romantic, like black and white, like black around the eyes makeup. It's like a spitting image of that. Not to mention, it's like an astounding performance from the actor. Uh, Werner Krauss plays Dr. Caligari, also does a really good uh, good job. And the guy who plays Francis, who's like kind of the actual main character, at least the protagonist. Um, really good performances. Um, but yeah, the main thing about it is like there's these sets that are like made out of... Uh, you know, cardboard or whatever. And there's speculation that certain parts of it were, uh, you know, budget constraint oriented or whatever. <clears throat> and here's the other thing. I stopped listening to one or I stopped watching and listening to one version of this movie because I realized that, um, I thought it was just extremely experimentally ahead of its time. And I just, I'm learning to understand the way that silent films work with their soundtracks. But you know, I even went and found on YouTube that there's something called the electronic Dr. Caligari, where some guy made like a techno soundtrack to go along with it, but there are various different soundtracks. And, um, I went back after listening to one that was produced in the eighties because it had like saxophones and electric guitars in it and it just felt it felt wrong kind of i mean it's it's pretty good um music and stuff kind of had like a 
a fun, like, uh, almost in the spirit of expressionist art, like uh, abstract, uh, angular, disjointed, uh, almost a was like no wave sound to it mixed with a like bebop almost um but yeah it did not did not really fit um with the the time placement in my mind of of the visuals of the movie so uh this other soundtrack that i heard was like really good and uh I even made like a remix of one of the one of the tracks when they're like, "Oh, let's go to the fair." It's like another one of those uh, very ginger sort of uh, great movement uh, music that you would only find in a film almost. Um, Alan and Francis are these two friends that want to go to the fair to uh, just because it's like a thing. Um, and when they get there, they find Dr. Caligari and, uh, you know, historic, uh, scene in all of, all of film, um, where they go inside of the tent and this somnambulist, somnambulist, AKA a sleepwalker, um, is awoken and, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Caligari is just kind of hanging out in his traveling cart. He came to town and uh i you know i learned a little bit more about what the film is actually about some say um with evidence from one of the screenwriters that it's like a uh, an allegory for world war 1 uh Cesare, the somnambulist uh being this zombie figure a uh, a a personification of death um and that it's a, it's really a story about um what is uh yeah insane authority as they called it uh a parable about insane authority and uh of course the deus ex machina at the end is uh caligari is um <clears throat> revealed to be not actually a uh uh a traveling carnival attraction guy, but like, uh, the head of like a mental hospital. Um, and there was some push and pull about whether there should actually be an epilogue and a prologue where, um, Francis, our main character is like saying, Oh, uh, well it's, it actually has a different setting. It's like a real world setting. Um, ostensibly, I think the sets are still cardboard, but it's got, um, like a fountain, like a real fountain where they're like, it just, you, you think in the beginning that it's just two guys sitting in a fountain and telling stories to each other, but then it's revealed at the end that the setting is actually the mental hospital and all of this has been a, a yada, yada, yada. And, uh, apparently, um, uh, Hans Janowitz is uh, one of the main screenwriters. I think there were three of them. And uh, he's one of the people who wanted there not to be the prologue and epilogue scenes where, um, you know, maybe they could have, they could have made it thematically work if, uh, if they had um, completely ditched the expressionist sets in those scenes, but some people have also speculated that, that was one of the budgetary budgetary constraints or that that decision was made for budgetary reasons. Um, so interesting decision where um, in the end, the moral of the story is kind of morphed and there's a writer called Siegfried Krakauer who wrote a book called From Caligari to Hitler, which I believe, um, uh, he must be a film scholar, but I, I believe it just uh, explores the uh, the political themes of expression, German expressionism uh, from World War, from the end of World War One to, uh, I guess, 
Hitler's rise or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's where the theory that the entire thing is about World War One and uh, <clears throat> the German authorities sending so many people to their deaths. And uh, of course, a lot of this is coming from a really interesting city of university of new york program i found called uh city cinematique and that's another uh silent h there <laughs> but yeah um really hoity-toity um discussion but from two guys who seem to know from an academic they were using these interesting words like per perspectival and filmic and ambiguated <laughs> um, the relationship between Siegfried uh, Krakauer and Hans Janowitz, Hans Janowitz uh, seemed to be fairly cozy and um, yeah it's uh, it's strange uh, Krakauer said that the addition of the prologue and the epilogue to the story turned it from being you know, a revolutionary film into being a conformist film, which is an extreme way of saying that, um, yeah, it warps, it warps the, uh, the theme a little bit where, um, you, uh, you're, you're playing with perspective, but you're not being consistent. Um, and you, it, depending on which way you tweak the theme or the, I don't know, the form or the function. Um, you could have made it work, but it seemed almost whitewashed in that sense. I don't know. It's also very interesting. Uh, the City Cin Cinematique episode was filmed in 2005, and this is coming from out of New York, and they made mention of, like, I, I, I feel like maybe their producers just didn't want them to get too political, but you'd think that there would be some mention of World War II or even Korea or Vietnam or something. But what they said was like, oh yeah, there was all this like death and despair and unimaginable um, atrocity in World War One, And of course we also have that now. And people have, they spoke very generally about people have like, you know, um, interpreted this in new ways. But I think you could probably, one of the ways you could interpret it is that it's a story about what the authority of um, behavioral science means or something. Or like what, what exactly was Francis, what was his deal? Was like he, um, was he actually insane in some way, mentally unwell? Was he, was he dreaming this? Um, uh, then again, it is uh, a uh, historic and often cited example of expressionist art in any medium. Um, so it, it's obviously supposed to be allegorical. And one one of the great lines from this this little film talk that I listened to was uh, from one of these guys were both professors. I didn't get their names, but. Uh, one of the dudes said expressionism is not interested in individual psychology. The character, the characters are not individ individualized or realistic. So it's very obviously meant as an expressionist work to be seen as metaphorical and allegorical and all that. <clears throat> but yeah, just to say world war one was bad and also today is bad and not to mention all of the, I mean, especially World War II. It's like, um, I don't know if anything has been, I mean, uh, I don't want to be a World War II guy, but the Siegfried Krakauer book seems kind of interesting, I guess. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much what I got. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, one of the other writers who wrote about it was Lottie Eisner, who was the one who advanced the theory that uh, the only reason the sets weren't different, um, which would have made it thematically consistent with what the original writers wanted uh, and in the beginning and end uh, prologue scenes, prologue and epilogue scenes, 
was because of those budgetary constraints. And an interest, one other interesting thing about this movie is that it actually was apparently very cheap to produce because of the weird cardboard sets. But even today, even with all that, uh, I found it to be very visually stunning. And I don't know if the soundtrack that I heard was um, the original one, but it had pianos and wind instruments. And I think it might've come from the German, some German Academy or something. Um, Yeah, I would recommend it just because the music is very good and the visual performances are good. And if you're interested in the history of film, it seems up there with, um, what's it called? Uh, Nosferatu, uh, which I've seen, uh, uh, in the classic, uh, you know, silent film genre. And, uh, I have to give a shout out to, I think it's movies silently on Twitter who, uh, without that really cool account and, uh, blog, has a lot of uh, in-depth film reviews on all of the classics. Um, I wouldn't have been able to uh, have such an interest in the silent film stuff. Metropolis is probably coming in the future, but next week we've got Godfather and uh, uh, Sonatine, or however it's called, that uh, the Japanese gangster film I was talking about. Um, I believe it's a gangster film. It's some kind of crime drama. So they'll be similar in that regard. Um, we've gone only a little bit over time in this. I crunched at the end there. Um, and I hope it's not too obvious that I'm reading off a list of notes that I've made for myself. But uh, if you've seen these movies, if you haven't and you're not, um, you know, uh, afraid of the spoilers or whatever, thank you for joining me. Um, check out Sonatine maybe, uh, in the next week, if you want to prepare for next week's episode, uh, chances are, if you're not a total plebe like me, you've already seen the original Godfather, which I'm looking forward to. Can't believe I've never watched it before. Scarface, um, Mary Elizabeth, free Mary Elizabeth, hashtag free Mary. Peace.